throw the recording on just so we have it. I'll cut this part out. Um, you get wow, your handwriting's great. Is it? Yeah, wow. You write so tiny. Thanks. Wow. I don't. I don't want to show you my notes. <laughs> it's like chicken scratch compared to that. That's like really nice. I feel very self conscious going into this mm. one. Um, you good? Um, yeah. Okay. water <laughs> cough the whole time seriously like i did one track workout feels like eight 25 frogs oh okay hey everybody i'm mike ali and i'm nick kramer and you are listening to two for diving um this is like the first one we've done in person in probably like two years yeah it feels good yeah i'm, I'm sitting up on the third floor of nick's uh house i was gonna say apartment but he doesn't have an apartment he has a very large house um we are sitting, locking eyes, uh, quite romantically, mm-hmm. if, I, if I might add, um, here to bring you some hockey talk. Um, Danny's still out, so he was uninvited. Um, Nick, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the San Jose Sharks, uh, the hockey team out of San Jose, to no surprise of anybody. It's been a while, you know, the holidays come fast and furiously. Sometimes too fast, too furiously. And that is a Fast and Furious franchise joke, and I won't apologize for it. Wow. All right. We're just, we're just off to the silliness. Um, yes. Uh, we're here to talk about the Sharks, uh, a team that is um, not the Flyers, which I think is really the biggest appeal. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's one of those teams that, you know, going into the season, I think, Nick, you would agree with me didn't really have any like expectations for them. You know, they had a lot of aging contracts, you know, Joe Pavelski's not there anymore. Joe Thornton's not there anymore. The goaltending has been historically bad year over year with Martin Jones and net. Um, so I think a lot of people were just kind of like, yeah, San Jose is probably going to finish bottom of the Pacific, not last, but you know, near the bottom of the Pacific, you know, outside the playoffs. But um, they've been kind of surprising this year. Uh, six, six in the conference right now, fourth in the Pacific. Um, and they're getting they're getting some good goaltending. They're getting some good offense. Getting, they're getting a little bit of good everywhere. But um, yeah, what what have you been seeing? Yeah, this is a team that didn't perform particularly well last year, and I think a lot of people probably counted them out coming into the season. Um, they've caught a couple of Sharks games to begin the the NHL season, and all, and thought they looked good, you know, considering their circumstances. And they're a team that is fairly exciting. You know, they have gone through some turnover in their roster. They've got some key components from the their glory days from the past five or so years. Um, I think this episode is going to be um, a tale of two halves. You know, we've got some, we'll talk about some stats from the San Jose Sharks from this year, but maybe the eye test tells us something that the numbers don't. And I think that's what we're going to find with the San Jose Sharks. And everybody knows numbers are just garbage. Digital right. garbage. So right. uh, it's all about the eye test. But yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I think there's, I think there's a couple things here. I, I do think there are some underlying stats that um, were surprisingly good for some of the players. Like I think there's some surprisingly good individual stats. I think when you look at them in the aggregate as an entire team, uh, they come off very average, right? I mean, right off the bat, like goal differential at at zero on the money. So I mean, that usually suggests a 500 team. Um, you know, right now they're 13 and 10. Um, and I think if you didn't watch a lot of Sharks games and you were just looking at some of these, I guess, easy to to find and digest stats, you would probably go, oh, this is a team performing slightly above expectation. And it's it's mostly because they're just getting ridiculous goaltending. So um, gone are Martin Jones and Aaron Dell and replacing them are... James Reimer and Aiden Hill. Um, and this is actually Reimer's second stint with the Sharks. Um, and he's making this stint count. Um, 934 save percentage and fifth in the NHL with um, an 8.71 goals um, saved above average. Um, pretty good start for him. Yeah. Uh, James Reimer's kind of been a journeyman goaltender the past couple of years. And he's done a very, very good job at the last couple stints that he's that he's been at. So the San Jose Sharks are getting, I think, as you mentioned, an average goal, uh, the 
save percentage of 932, which is above the league average of 926. That's an eight-point difference. If you look at the breakdown between James Reimer and Aiden Hill, they have been employed by the Sharks approximately the same um, amount of time. So 14 games for James Reimer, 12 games for Aiden Hill. Uh, Reimer, though, in his 14 games played, has the 934 save percentage compared to Aiden Hill's 908. So Reimer really the key here for some of the Sharks' goaltending uh, prowess that we did would, that we didn't expect coming into the season. You know, Reimer's another year older. The Sharks haven't gotten good goaltending. They decided to move on from Martin Jones. And the Sharks haven't really seen good goaltending in the last five years. So this is a good, nice, nice change for them. Yeah, and it's... I, I th- I'm trying to remember who I was listening to like a week or two ago. Um, I don't say it was maybe Jeff Merrick, but they were talking about... Um, the Rangers, actually, they're talking about uh, Igor Shesterkin um, and the ridiculous season he's had. Um, but then they were also saying, like, his backup, you know, uh, Alex Georgiev has got a 8.58 save percentage right now. And it's like, you know, both of those goaltenders are playing behind the same defense, and one is vastly outperforming the other. Um, you know, you can kind of look at this in San Jose, and yeah, you know, Aiden Hill's giving you solid backup numbers. He's got a 9.08 save percentage, you know, like Nick said. Um, he's only played two games less than Reimer this season, uh, 258 goals against. Like, those are admirable backup numbers. But I think when you take that and compare it to what James Reimer's doing, like, you can you can see, like, Reimer's just playing. He's having kind of a, a above-the-average season for him. Um, you know, with that said, um, with Reimer, because, again, I think if you weren't watching the Sharks games, you would say, well, this is just James Reimer performing above expectation. But, you know, if... You know, to employ the the eye test a little bit, um, you know, Reimer's not really doing anything special out there. Like, you watch him play. Um, I mean, he's he's in good position. He's, you know, deflecting rebounds where they need to go and everything like that. But, I mean, he's not doing anything that makes you go, like, whoa, this is a dominant goaltender. I mean, he, he looks kind of small in net. Um, you know, he does occasionally kind of give up a soft goal here and there. And, you know, to apply that two to some of the advanced stats, like even though his goal saved above average is fifth in the NHL, he's only facing, he's facing um, not an abnormally high amount of high danger shots um, or high danger scoring chances. So yes, like James Reimer's playing great, but he's also getting solid protection from his defensive group, which I think was something that um, was maybe lacking um, in previous iterations of Sharks teams, you know, like the Martin Jones, Aaron Dell tandem, it's like, yeah, you know, they didn't play great. I mean, it was pretty obvious both those goalies weren't playing well. But at the same time, you know, you look at Martin Jones, he's playing much better in Philadelphia. Um, I'm, I don't want to really talk too much about Aaron Dell because I think he is in Buffalo getting tortured. But, um, you know, I think what happened here this season a little bit, on top of just getting better goaltending, though, is that, you know, Bob Bugner has kind of implemented a team first defense and offense to kind of, I think, help prevent a high level of high danger shots on their goaltenders. And I think you're seeing the benefits of that because now they actually are competing in almost all their games. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely going to be a process. This is going to be, you know, this is no short term retool here. Um, if we're looking at some of the goals allowed and goals for stats for the Sharks, they're 22nd out of 32 teams for goals for. They're 24th out of 32 for goals allowed. So that's it's interesting to look at that stat here. 24th out of 32 teams for goals allowed. They're in the back third, and yet they have such a high save percentage combined. Um, so it goes to show you that there's that this is a revision of a process. They're having to reevaluate the defense. If you look at some of the defensive prowess that they've had in the past couple of years, it's mainly been on the scoring front with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. A lot of these guys can score. They haven't been known for blocking shots. They haven't been known for suppressing high danger chances. And I know they're trying to retool that defense over there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that process become, you know, uh, over the course of the next few years, hopefully they get their, their ducks in order um, and can really prevent some of these high danger scoring chances coming in on the goalie and not having to rely on, um, you know, above average goalie play. An interesting thing that I kind of pulled up, just pulled up here on James Reimer. So James Reimer was on San Jose for a few games in the 2015-2016 season, then went to Florida for three years, then Carolina for two years, and now is back with San Jose. 
He's got the highest save percentage this year through his 12 games played since the 2015-2016 season. 9.38 in 2015-2016. Granted, it was a small sample size of eight games. And, uh, you know, with the Sharks, um, we're back at 9.34. So, um, it's definitely, definitely improved in his play this year compared to the previous years. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I do think if we stay on the subject of Reimer real quick, like I, I do feel like in Carolina, and I think I, I said this on maybe some of the episodes where we covered Carolina, you know, I still to this day think that James Reimer was the best goalie in that Carolina group. You know, if, between Nedeljkovic, um, Peter Mrazek, and Reimer, I always liked Reimer better. Um, granted, maybe I'm a little biased because Mrazek had that stint in Philadelphia, but Mrazek was also really streaky. And Nedeljkovic, I just thought was... Um, he was fine. Like, he's not bad. Mm-hmm. But I I, I think it, my thinking of Reimer's the best goalie out of the group had less to do with the deficiencies of Mrazek and Nedeljkovic and more to do with... I think Reimer's just consistently been an underrated goaltender because he's been in situations where he hasn't had an opportunity. I mean, you know, he started out in Toronto... Or not started out, but he had the starting job in Toronto at a time where... If you were a goaltender, the last place you would want a starting job was Toronto because the team just wasn't very good in front of him. And he still played decent. Um, but then he moved on. He was in San Jose, like you said. And then after that, spent time backing up Roberto Luongo in Florida, where he really wasn't getting a lot of opportunity there either. Um, comes to Carolina, you know, I think the thought there was that he would run the tandem, but. You know, he was kind of in and out with injury. And I think when Mrazek was healthy, you know, Carolina seemed to like what they were getting out of Mrazek more than Reimer. So I, I, I'm happy for him because I feel like he's finally getting an opportunity to kind of show us what kind of goalie he is. And he is like older um, in terms of goalies, but he's only 33. So, I mean, it's not like it's ab- it's completely out of the question for him to be having just a good season. Um, so... Another, another key component here is their penalty kill percentage. Now, I know we, we're specifically talking about the, the defense in front mm-hmm. of the goalie, but you know this is a part of the defense in front of the goalie. They're fourth overall in the league in penalty kill. Wow. Uh, killing about uh, killing 87.1% of, their, uh, of the penalties, which is uh, probably a dramatic um, improvement from what we've seen from them in the previous year. So that, that is certainly contributing to their, their overall success and goal. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's a good pivot to talk about, like, what's happening outside of goaltending, you know, on the defensive end and even the offensive end. But maybe we start with the defense because that's where the biggest names are, right? So, like, you you think of the Sharks and you're you're thinking immediately of Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and probably Mark Edward Vlasic. Um, and I think in the last few years, you know, Brent Burns is 36 now. Eric Carlson has had some some injuries and he's not really the person, the same person he was, uh, you know, three, four years ago. And Mark Edward Vlasic's getting old as well and really hasn't really had too many good seasons lately. Um, but this year, you know, I think Vlasic's still kind of not doing super great. He's, he's playing a, a lesser role now. Um, but, you know, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson are having decent um, seasons. I mean, Carlson from a possession standpoint, is playing very well. And also from a raw points, is playing well. Brent Burns um, is getting the points, and that's kind of, I think, what you want from Brent Burns. And then uh, I think the new dark horse that, you know, maybe people outside of San Jose wouldn't be familiar with is a guy by the name of Mario Ferraro, who's um, their 23-year-old top pair defenseman. Um, So between Mario Ferraro, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, those three guys have combined for... Um, 35 points in 66 games. Um, and you can tell when you watch a Sharks game that, you know, Bob Bugner, the head coach, like really, I think, encourages those defenders to um, join the offensive rush. Like it is so frequent that I, I think if you didn't know anything about hockey, you would sometimes mistaken Ferraro or Carlson for wingers because that's how frequently they're in the offensive zone. And I kind of like that from Bugner because... I think he's looking at his roster and being like, look, it's not a perfect roster. It's flawed. We're not necessarily a Stanley Cup contender, but what are my strengths? And his strengths are clearly mobile defense. Um, And so he's said, hey, you know what? Like, if we need to generate offense, like, let's throw a fourth defender or a fourth forward in there where we can. 
Um, and that's kind of what some of these guys like Carlson, Burns, and, and Ferraro have been doing for them. Yeah, it's important for the Sharks to get point contributions from their defense because they have a lot of money tied up in their defense defensive core. Um, between Aaron Carlson, Brent Burns, and Mark Edward Vlasic, the, the three of them comprise uh, most of their defensive salary. I mean, that that's roughly, what is that, 8 mil plus 7 mil plus 11 mil, right? You're looking at like 28, 26 million tied up in those three players. Yeah. Right? That's a lot of money um, on your roster. And if you look at the top scorers of the Sharks, top three or forwards, the big names that you'd expect, Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, Tomas Hurdle, and then there's Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. So you have to get production from the defense if you're going to be paying them that much money. Um, Eric Carlson with 13 points and Brent Burns with 12 points. Now, granted, Brent Burns' point distribution is one goal, 11 assists. Um, I don't. I didn't calculate how many of those are secondary assists. You would like to see Brent Burns getting more goals. Um, he's gotten a lot of goals from the point the last few years. <clears throat> this team does struggle to score a little bit. I know they've got a very, very uh, powerful top line, but uh, if we're looking at the global statistics, 22nd out of 32 for goals for uh, for the Tennessee Sharks. Or they're they're basically in the back third here. Um, so if you know they've got a lot of productive top line forwards. They've got production out of Carlson and Burns. They do need more production out of the middle and bottom of their lineup, which a lot of teams, you know, that's a problem for a lot of teams. Um, so that's something that they'll have to focus on as they look to build depth um, in the next uh, in the next few years. Well, that's actually, this I think is a good way to segue to maybe probably the biggest red flag of the Sharks, which is um, a lack of offensive depth. So um, you named a couple guys, Hurdle, um, Couture, and... Um, Timo Meyer, you know, the, the two there, Timo Meyer and Logan Couture play on a top line with Jonathan Dolan, who's another young prospect in San Jose. Um, that, that might be one of the best or at least most underrated forward lines in the entire NHL. You know, the Meyer, Couture, Dolan line right now, all three of those guys have, um, over or between 70 and 75%, um, goals for percentage. Um, that's absurd. You know, um, they are just outscoring the opponent by a wide, wide margin. Um, and that's awesome. You know, when you and, and, and it kind of it, it um, I guess the eye test supports it. You know, when you watch those games, you know, you don't even need defenders when that lines out because they are always in the offensive zone. You know, Timo Meyer does such a great job on the four check and going to the dirty areas. Logan Couture is such a steady veteran presence and he just kind of does everything right. And then Jonathan Dolan's this young guy with a ton of creativity who you just insert and he's like an injection of energy, I think, for those guys. So um, they just work so well together. And you can even swap Couture with Hurdle, and I think Hurdle does great with them as well. Um, the thing, though, that I think that also says, as much as it says a great thing about that top line, you know, you said it, this team is near the bottom of the league in goals per game. Um, they're getting all of this uh, production from the top line. And then after that, it's just the rest of the forward groups are kind of getting, uh, crushed a bit. Um, you know, obviously again, uh, Tomas Hurdle is, is playing solid. Um, he's, he's having a good season. He's a good player. Um, Barabanov's having an okay year. He's got 10 points in 19 games. Um, you know, they did have a young prospect, William Eklund. He was only 18. He played nine games. Um, I think some people wanted him to stick around and they were like, no, we're not doing that. They have enough problems with the cap and to burn a ELC on a, what will effectively probably be like an average season. Um, but yeah, like outside that top line, they just, they're not really getting a lot. You know, um, I look, I look at these groups. I mean, the third line's got some veterans there. You got Benino with Cogliano, um, Kevin LeBanc, um, I think has been having an okay season, but you know, he's not really the Kevin LeBanc. I think a lot of people were expecting. So I think when you look at the sharks, you're looking and saying like, okay, I need a lot more from my other guys. Like I need more from Cogliano and LeBanc. Um, I need these guys to step up so that I have a useful second line. Um, Cause I think if this team does find a way into the playoffs, um, I think they're going to find they're going to be in trouble if they are just a one-trick pony. 
Yeah, that, and, that, and you brought up the exact line that I was going to bring up is that third line there. They they built this third line from you know experienced NHL veterans, right? Longtime Colorado Avalanche player Matt Matt Nieto, Nick Bonino, who's bounced around in the league, and Andrew Cogliano, longtime Duck. Um, you know the successful teams in this league bring in these veteran guys who may not be top end talent, but can really contribute into depth and long in the playoffs. Matt Nieto has two points. Nick Benino has three points and Andrew Cogliano has five points um, through the 24 games here. That's not nearly enough from your third line in total. And yeah, another key factor here is Kevin LeBanc, who is a really, really young kid they were super excited about, who only has six points on the season, right? And he's been up and down this lineup. He's currently down on the fourth line. They expect more of Kevin LeBanc. I don't know if he's been hurt. Um, he's clearly having a down year. You know, he was one of the one of the emerging talents on this team who scored some really really important goals in the playoffs. If you if you think back to that crazy comeback against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights with the um, the who was that Cody Eakin over. Uh, overtime. It wasn't overtime. It was Cody Eakin uh, uh, take down Joe Pavelski. He was bleeding uh, on the ice. It was a five-minute major, yeah. and they ended up scoring three goals. One of the goals was Kevin LeBanc. And, um, so, yeah, he's one of their key contributors. They, they they planned on building around him moving forward, clearly having a down year, but the, the bottom of this lineup needs to contribute more if this team is going to get into the playoffs this year. They've got 27 points, which puts them on pace for 92.25 points. That probably doesn't get you into the playoffs. You're going to need about four extra points, you have to think, to get into the playoffs. So they need to make up some ground. It's not too, It's not, not, yeah, not I mean, a ton of ground to can, make up. I was going to say 92, I mean, it, it, it kind of depends on what's going on around division, you, right? Like, yeah, yeah. do you have, like, so, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like some of these teams, um, who's around them right now. So, you know, if... If LA starts to fall off and crater, if Seattle continues to crater, if Chicago craters, um, if Vancouver doesn't survive, you know, if if it becomes that more and more teams um, start falling off that wagon a little bit, and there's less competition for that wild card spot, ninety two and a half, ninety three might be able to get you in. But yeah, I think if you're the Sharks, you want to make the playoffs. Like you absolutely are going to have to step it up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I do want to add in because I think we should move on to like what their prospects are for the playoffs this year and, and what we should expect from them going forward. But um, Kevin LeBanc, man, four point seven million. So I think it was like a couple years ago he had signed a one million dollar one year contract, and everybody was up in arms, like, "What is this kid doing? Like, he's worth like six million on the free agent market for multiple years." Um, he had just come off a fifty six point season. Um, and I think LeBanc had read the room and was like, Hey, you know what? I'm better than this. Um, I'm going to prove it. And next year I'm going to make even more money. Um, and since then he just hasn't really shown up. Like, I mean, the last three seasons, so 2019, 2020, he had 33 points in 70 games last season, 28 points in 55 this year, six and 18. Um, he's on pace for like one of his worst seasons, um, of his career. Uh, and you know, you said he's on the fourth line right now. Um, I do not think for 4.75 million, like the sharks were anticipating Kevin LeBanc being on the fourth line. I think they thought he was going to be a major contributor on the second. And I think if they're going to start making up some of that playoff, um, I'm sorry, if they're going to start, um, getting on a higher points, total pace, they're going to need Kevin LeBanc on the second line playing effective. Um, if not, he definitely strikes me as a guy, he's 25 years old, who you might consider trading um, and seeing what the market looks like. I mean, he's not, no one's going to want him right now because no one wants that contract for for the production. But, you know, um, I, I think any trade in that case would probably be um, money in, money out. Like it would just be an even trade. But I, I could definitely see him maybe being moved if need be. Um, you know, speaking of, I guess, like production and lack of production depth, uh, kind of get your um, thoughts on, I guess, the elephant in the room with, with the Sharks that we haven't talked about, which is the Evander Kane situation. So um, got suspended for 21 games for faking a COVID vaccination card, which, um, you know, when I thought about it and looked at like a COVID vaccination card, like that can't be that difficult, right? Like half the time they just write it in pen. I'm like, how hard would it be to just buy like... I don't know. I'm not like advocating for faking a vaccination card. I'm just like, wow, that that really wouldn't be that difficult, I guess, if you wanted to do that. But 
Um, yeah, he was suspended 21 games. Suspension was up. Um, I think it came out in the summer, really, that um, to the surprise of probably no one, um, he wasn't really a fan favorite in the locker room. You know, the team wasn't a, or not a fan favorite. The uh, He wasn't the, the players themselves weren't really into Evander Kane. They didn't like him very much. He was a bit of a locker room cancer, I think. Um, so, you know, he his suspension's up, and instead of, you know, bringing in Evander Kane, who's historically had some very good seasons, I mean, he was, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was, yeah, he was their leading scorer last year. He had 49 points in 56 games. I mean, um, I'm just looking at some of, I mean, he's he's had 30 goals, 26 goals, and 22 goals in the last three seasons. I mean, he almost he's almost always good for 20 to 25 goals minimum. Um, you know, you would think a team like San Jose could use that kind of production um, either, either on the third or second line. And instead they were like, no, nah, you know what? Like, our team doesn't like you. <laughs> like, we don't want you around. And they sent him down to the Barracuda. So, uh Kind of curious, like, kind of how you feel about that. I mean, I, I, I feel like this is a question of, you know, what's more valuable, like uh, team camaraderie or, or talent? Yeah, it's really strange, and it's hard to know exactly what, what, what has gone on in that locker room. And I know they've had to kind of deal with some off-the-ice um, speculation with some some of his personal relationships and stuff, and we're not, you know, we wouldn't talk on that because we don't have any information. On yeah, that. no, it would all be hearsay. And and um, but clearly that 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 plays a part in some of the GM's decision making. Um, and they they yeah they waived him. Um, obviously, no one picked him up, and he reported to the the Barracuda recently. So, but you're right, that's production that they could desperately use. Um, and, well, that, and it's really, really hard to know what exactly is the the motivation, you know, the the cost benefit analysis for keeping a player around that you know might not fit into um, your locker room well. That, but 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 it is capable of putting up points. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know they're trying to trade them, and I think there's also probably a cap implication here too, because I'm not even sure. I think they might have to send somebody down in order to fit him. Um, cause I'm looking at, well, actually no, cause his cap, I'm sorry, his cap hits 5.875. So, um, yeah, I mean, they would have to send somebody down, but I don't think it would be wild. Um, but I guess my, my question for you, and this is kind of a hypothetical is, um, or it's not kind of, it is a hypothetical. I mean, if you were, if you were the sharks and you're a team that's got a great top line, you're having a slightly above expectation season, um, you get to towards the end of the season you're fighting for that eighth or seventh spot in the playoffs and you've got a Vander Kane still sitting in the AHL um knowing that potentially this roster isn't a big fan of him do you call him up and rock that boat and see if he just gives you the points to get you in the playoffs or do you just say you know what like we're going to keep trying to trade you and we leave you in the AHL it's a good question you know then this is something that GMs, coaches, managers have to deal with in all sorts of sports. Um, you know, you, certainly how the players interact with one another in a locker room um, off the ice is it, it's a contributing role. And we as viewers don't necessarily take that into account all the time. The question is, and, I, and I'm sort of by analogy thinking about the construction of college football programs because I pay t- a, lot, yeah. a lot of attention to, for example, Florida State. Well, and, what would Florida State do? <laughs> I was just, you, you so, beat me to it. So, you know, that that's the thing is you, when you recruit high school kids, you can afford to have some, uh, for, for lack of a more euphemistic terminology, bad eggs in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Kids who are really, really talented on the field, but, but aren't the greatest locker room guys, aren't particularly good leaders. You can afford to have some of those on a, a college football roster. Well, I was going to say, like, I guess, like, maybe the distinction there, though, is, like, you can have them on the roster because they're, like, 19, 20 years old. And there's, like, the idea that these people are more um, willing to listen and, and change their attitude and maybe grow and develop. Whereas like a Vander Kane situation, like that's an older player and uh, an adult, frankly, who, um, and again, I, I don't want to like make assumptions on a Vander Kane, but like if what's rumored about him is true, like, you know, he, he's probably just, he is who he is, um, at this point. 
Um, so, I mean, I guess that would maybe be the one distinction, but I guess where you're going to say is that, does that matter or not really? Yeah. And then, and it's really a, it's a cost benefit analysis is how, how much of that can you afford in the locker room, um, to, to outweigh the, the production, right? I mean, cause at the, the, the end of the day, this is a business, right? And you need to be able to perform and put points on the board. If you're the general manager all the way down to the, to the, the players, right? And so, it all it also helps the players that play with Evander Kane to perform better, and so yeah. that will have to be a call that Doug Wilson makes, that Bob Bugner make. Um, if they're if they're close to the playoff spot at the end of the year and they need more point production, bringing Evander Kane up will almost certainly help them. Um, whether or not they can afford that is a, is another question. Yeah. Now, if you bring him up, and this is like. I, like, I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, what we would do in this situation. Because I'm not even sure if I would know. Like, my gut tells me, like, would you talk to the players if you were considering something like that? If you're Doug Wilson or Bob Bugner, would you bring the team and be like, hey, guys, look, we're, we're talking about maybe bringing a Vander up and just, get, like, you know, we want to give you as much opportunity as possible to make the playoffs. We think this guy, you know, he may not be your favorite person, but... He might be able to help us with the stretcher on. He knows the system. He knows how to play with you guys. Like, how do we feel? Like, would you talk to the players about that? Or would you just be like, hey, we're doing this or we're not doing this? I think I would talk to the players about yeah. this. You know, I think there's a, you know, that that kind of uh, openness and honesty. There's this mutual respect between you and, and your players. Uh, I'm sure that goes a long way inside the locker room. And and to, to sit down with them and talk through it uh, strategically, um, I, I think that wouldn't do any harm. I mean, that would probably be the smart decision. Yeah. for Doug Wilson to do if he makes the decision to bring Evander Kane back up. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes, um, the Evander Kane situation. I think more interesting to me, because frankly, I you know I don't care too much about the trauma aspects of this, but um, I'm very interested in what to make of the Sharks. Because, again, like I love the Sharks. I think um, I've always said that, you know, growing up, like my second favorite team was always the Sharks. I mean... It was the Flyers, and then it would be the Sharks. Um, and, you know, I loved watching them during the Joe Thornton years. Um, they were just so cool and exciting. Um, and I was always kind of sad that they never got over the hump. Um, and I'm kind of sad to see that, like, some of these good players, like Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, they're kind of – they came to – they got these big contracts to be a part of this this Stanley Cup push, and, the, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, but, again, and I'm him and Han here, we're – we're looking at a team here that's right now in a playoff spot and an okay playoff spot at the moment. So, um, you know, how do we feel about this team and their their fit here in the West? Like, do you do you see them? I mean, I think it's obvious they're not necessarily a playoff lock, but do you do you feel like this is a playoff team, or do you think some some of the teams behind them are going to start catching up? Uh, I I yeah and and. This is where I think your contribution from the eye test comes in because you caught more Sharks games than me this year. If I'm looking at these numbers here, I see the Sharks are 19th in points percentage. They're 22nd in goals for. They're 24th in goals allowed. They're 22nd in points percentage, uh, um, power play conversion. They're 22nd in total shots on goal. They're 21st in shots uh, against. Their cur- their Corsi Corsi four is 46.1, which is below the average. Right. So the question is. You know, we've seen good things from the Sharks. The eye test tells us this team is probably better than what their numbers indicate so far. They've got a couple underperforming players, some underperforming lines. So the question is, what, what do we want to weigh here in terms? And when, when we're extrapolating information for the rest of the season, do we want to weigh the numbers that we've got through 24 games, or or the difference that the eye test mm. um, has for, for us and the Sharks? Because they look. They're exciting. They look better than I think some of these numbers indicate. You know, when I watched a lot of these Sharks games early on in the season, they were fun to watch. You know, they were moving the puck. They weren't scoring on a high clip, but they were they were they were fun to watch. They're 26th in goals for per game at, at an average of 2.58 goals per game. And just for reference, the Colorado Avalanche, the number one team, is at a 4.0 uh, clip goals Man, per game. So that's lower than I thought. Yeah. So, you know. You calculate their predicted points based on their 27 points through 24 games, 92.25 points. They have some options here, right? Evander Kane's an option. Uh, Kevin LeBanc um, improving is an option. That third line improving is an option. If they continue getting consistent goaltending, continue with their their special teams 
um, defensive special teams, they could they could edge into the playoffs. And I think the Pacific, you know, the Kings came out to kind of a hot start. They've somewhat uh, plateaued a little bit, but that that's another team we've talked about in the past that could also crack the the playoffs. You know, the the wild card spots. Um, this is an interesting. This is an interesting d- a division here. That this this Pacific division. Um, there's a lot of variability in this one, I think. So I would love to see the Sharks in the playoffs because you know you and I both love the Sharks. Top five uniform. You got to root oh, for absolutely. that beautiful, Such, yeah, beautiful teal so uh, uniform. You, you, you love to see that in the playoffs. That, that's all we care about. Yeah, that's really it's, it's, that's, it's, that's all. That's fifty percent of, of of our of our team rooting is is. Jerseys. jerseys, yeah. Um, no, I'm with you. Like when you when you lay out some of their stats, I think it's going to be challenging um, because they just don't produce a lot of goals. And you have to think, or you don't have to think. I mean, the question is going to be what happens with the goaltending here. Like, can Reimer keep this up, or is he going to start to fall off? Because I think if you start to get some some fall off from your goaltenders, or if your defense starts to play, if your team defense starts to get loose. Um, I mean, it could get bad quick in San Jose if you're not going to make up for it with goals. Um, you know, with that said, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it, a lot of it is going to depend on what happens around the Sharks. You know, what happens in Nashville? What happens um, in Anaheim even? You know, I mean, they're... And the Ducks have looked good too. Yeah. Oh my God. I kind of want to do a Ducks episode. Yeah. Like, because I was watching Sharks games, but then I would just go over to the Ducks because they look crazy. But... Um, you know, like right now, so like I said, San Jose is sixth in the conference, but they're ahead of Colorado and Vegas and Winnipeg, three teams that I think both of us had making the playoffs this year. Um, Colorado is seven, two and one in their last 10. They just had a slow start. Vegas is getting healthy. They're six and four in their last 10. Um, Winnipeg, Winnipeg's interesting. Um, I think they. I think their overtime losses have been hurting them, but they're four, five, and one in the last ten. Um, you know how many of those teams can San Jose hold off? Because if three, if those three teams catch San Jose and move past them, that puts San Jose at nine. So to me, I'm looking at this and I'm saying you have to stay in front of Nashville, um, and you have to find a way to stay ahead of Winnipeg. Because I, I think they can stay in front of Dallas. I mean, Dallas is going to be the other one that's going to be tricky for them. But I I mean, in Dallas, actually, they've got a six-game winning streak. That's crazy. Um, but I think they can stay in front of Dallas. I think it's going to be a matter... It, it's going to come down to staying ahead of Winnipeg. And that's going to be... That's a tall order. I mean, that is a playoff roster. Connor Hellebuck's one of the best goaltenders in the universe. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really... Because, I mean... There's no way you're going to be like Colorado or Vegas is not making the playoffs. Both right. those teams are right. going to make it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just really staving those off and seeing, again, like, does Calgary fall off? I mean, I know they're first, but I don't think anybody expected Calgary to be first in the West. They could. And the thing is, we're only 24 games in, right? We've got a long it's season. It's done. <laughs> it's done. This is it. Um, you know, I can see scenarios where, you know, Anaheim, their hot start plateaus, um, Edmonton, we can certainly see fall off because it's Edmonton. Uh, you would expect Vegas to kind of move up. Gosh, Vancouver, man, just like I had them third in the conference, Nick. <laughs> I almost want to do a like, what do we regret from our previews episode? But it was going to hurt me too much because I like I just fucked up. Well, I've got I've got I had three Vancouver Canucks drafted in our in our fantasy hockey league, and that really you destroyed me. I did have three. oh because you had Demko. Grubauer, uh, Demko. I dropped Demko. Did you? Demko. I had Grubauer and Demko, and they were. Seattle and Vancouver were losing every game, so I had to drop both of them. I might grab Demko. Yeah, your goalies hurt you, man, because you're a Grubauer, too. I consistently get negative points in our our week-to-week basis. (laughs) Although I will agree with you, I do think think maybe next year we need to look into adjusting the goaltending. Oh, it's brutal. Because it's like you can can just win a week by having Mm -hmm. like a shutout. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, Tune in for the next episode of Nick and Mike gripe about their fantasy <laughs> hockey teams. Um, but, but this is also, but, but you, I could also see envision a scenario in which the Kings continue to develop this year yeah. and, and, and edge into one of those you know eighth spots or, or something like that. So um, I, the glass half full perspective here for San Jose is that they're in a pretty decent position through twenty four games. Like they they are right on the cusp. Yeah, um, you know they're currently sitting in a playoff spot. The the points 
the extrapolated points indicate that you're probably three to four points shy, but yeah. but you're right there on that cusp. Like you're ninth. Yeah, you're yeah. you're right there on that cusp. So, um, you know, for for a team that we expected to be at the bottom of the barrel here in the Pacific, they've actually kind of held their own so far. So, if we see more development and and some more positivity from the the things that we mentioned, the third line contributions from from Kevin LeBanc, um, consistent goaltending. Um, you know, if we get and and if Brent Burns starts to net some more goals and contribute more on the goals versus the assists, you know that'll that'll help you know increase their their goals per game. Something that they, that they want to change certainly. Um, pretty good. Pretty I, I think considering their global league based statistics, where they're hovering in the low twenties out of thirty two teams for a lot of these metrics, they're in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you brought up something with Brent Burns that I think speaks to a bigger thing here is that um, people, like players on this team are – some are going to cool off as the season goes on and some are going to heat up. And I think that's going to be the real determiner of like if they can, you know, get past that, if they can make it to the playoffs. Because, um, you know, I, I think typically uh, – and I'm not – I'm kind of just basing this off of like what I've seen year over year. I don't necessarily have like a specific thing I can point this to, but it does seem fairly common that when you're a young player, maybe one to two years in the NHL and you start off with a good seat, like start off playing well, like a guy like Jonathan Dolan or, um, you know, you tend to, you tend to says like it, you cool off. You do because it's, it's, uh, well, up until this point, it's like you've, you've maybe played at most 40 games in a season. And now it's like, we're asking you to play 82 in a crate on a team that travels more than any other team in the NHL. Yeah. Um, so I expect guys like Jonathan Dolan, um, who's shooting at a 19% rate. Um, I expect guys like that to cool off at the same token, more veteran players tend to start off a little slow and then work their way into the season. So on the flip side, I expect guys like Kevin LeBanc, maybe, um, and Brent Burns to start heating up a little bit. Um, the Brent Burns goal thing, he's third on the team in shots with 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said one goal, he's got, he, he's shooting 1.7%. Um, I think we can all pretty much agree that he will not shoot at 5%, although, or at, at 2% for the rest of the season. Although it's worth noting that Brent Burns. His career shooting percentage is 6.6. It's very low. And my theory here is that he's probably taking a lot of shots from the point that he are is. getting deflected. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he probably is, I guess, contributing goals. But it does work. Yeah, it does yeah. work. Yeah. Like, he, he's not getting outscored. I mean, I think his goals for percentage is almost exactly 50. Like, I think he's, I think it's 17 and 18. Let me just double check here. But... He, yeah, so, um, actually, I'm sorry, he's let in, he, he's, he's been on the ice for 18 goals at 5-on-5, five five. he's been on the ice for 17 goals against at 5-on-5, five five. so he's basically performing at 50%, which is fine. Um, so, I, that tells me he's probably taking a lot of point shots and creating a lot of goals just yes. with his shot. Um, yeah, Brent Burns is not a big solo goal guy. I mean, yeah. you look back at his goals in, 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 in his, the last 10 years that he's played, um, he doesn't score a lot of goals. He, he nets a lot of assists, but and that, that's his bread and butter is the power play, taking points from the shot. And what ends up happening is it creates havoc, puck drops down, he gets deflections, other, other guys score, and that's why he has this pretty high uh, assist-to-goal ratio, and that, 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 that is his bread and butter. So that, that is what we're expecting him to do. We are expecting him to score more than, let's say, four goals a year, which is what he's on pace for now. I think that has that's going to have to start to trend upward. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, you know, a guy who's been in the league for 15 years or whatever, that was his first year, 2003-2004. He's been in the league for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you would expect him to not plateau, but to to come back to what he what his what his normal. Uh, clip it. Yeah. So you would expect him to start scoring a little bit more. Yeah, and I think the way he plays, like, I mean, he's 36, so obviously, like, regression is occurring, but, um, like, I don't think he plays in a way that's going to translate bad as an older defender. Because, again, like, if you're asking him to take shots from the point on the power play, that's fine. I mean, the, I think the biggest worry with Brent Burns is, like, is he also going to, um, you know, how often is he going to get burned on defense? I mean, I 
I, and this is an eye test thing, and I, I do think he tends to get out-muscled a little bit more than I would expect considering his size and the length of his beard. Um, you know, I think that's maybe a concern. But, uh, but yeah, I think all that to say, like, it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, I, me being the optimist, like, I think they can make the playoffs. But me being the realist, um, this could be a ninth-place team because – you know, if you told me um, unbiasedly, like, you know, like, can San Jose beat Winnipeg, Vegas, and Colorado for a playoff spot, I'd probably say no. Yeah, I think <laughs> right know? now it's a flip of the coin. Yeah. Um, and then they also have to fend off Dallas and Nashville. And that's the, those are two teams that are right at San Jose's level. Yeah, and I, yeah, th- those are all teams that I throw in the same boat in terms of skill, where they're at, goalies, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a flip of the coin right now. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, well, I guess like a quick wrap up here, uh, just kind of looking forward, and we've alluded to this a bit, um, and anybody who really knows anything about the Sharks, I think, knows what's coming here. Um, their cap situation is uh, equal parts like terrifying, but maybe there's some underlying good things here. So, um I, th- I think the state, the obvious, they have a lot of money tied up in expensive old contracts. Um, Brent Burns, who's 36 now, is being paid $8 million a year until I think he is 40, um, till 2025. Uh, Eric Carlson, who's 31, is getting paid 11.5 until 2027, and he's 31 right now. Um, Logan Couture, 32, um, which makes me feel kind of old, is getting paid $8 million until 2027, um, Mark Edward Vlasic, who we really haven't spent a lot of time on because he hasn't really been playing very well. He's getting paid $7 million until 2026, and he's 34. So they have, they have like, I think a lot of teams tend to have a guy where you sign them to a contract and you say, yeah, you know what, like that contract's going to kill us when they get above the age of like 36, but it'll be worth it before then. The problem is the Sharks have like five of those contracts, and yeah. it's like, Oh my God, like have some self-control. Um, the, the plus side is, I'm glad Danny's not here to like roll his eyes, but uh, 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 cost certainty. <laughs> like you're certainly spending yeah, yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, looking at this, I feel, I feel, you know, the one that stands out in my mind is the Eric Carlson contract. Mm-hmm. That was definitely, in my mind, a win-now contract that yes. traded for him from the Senators. $11.5 million is a lot. That is close to what you're paying Connor McDavid. You're not exact nearly getting the production for for Carlson as you are for Connor McDavid. Granted that Eric Carlson is a great defender. He's contributing on the score sheet. If you if you, you ask the GM, uh, Doug Wilson, uh, if you gave him truth serum, if, he, if Eric Carlson's worth $11.5 million a year, he's probably not. You're paying for a player that... That uh, existed, a, you know, four four years ago, but I, I do feel better about this Eric Carlson contract than I thought I would. He's only thirty one. I thought he was older than that. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six years from now, that's thirty seven. That contract is inevitably gonna gonna hurt you when he's 35, 36, 37, especially because Eric Carlson gets hurt. Right. But you know what? I think the way he's playing now, it's I not think bad. He's, yeah, it's not bad. It's not terrible, right? Yeah. It's, it, this is not a. Uh, I almost said a Zach Parise contract, but like Zach Parise was playing well the last couple of years. Yeah. So it wasn't even, you know, this is not a contract. I thought this was going to be a more debilitating contract than it is. Or, you know, I would say it would look, I, I think you can give a mulligan for, for contracts like this because at the rate the cap was increasing, I think Doug Wilson was probably thinking, you know what, by 2027, the cap's going to be like 95 million, right? Like 11.5 is not going to, it's going to be damaging, but it's not going to be that damaging. And now obviously COVID, we're hitting. It plateaued the cap for three years, we'll say. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the Mark Edward Vlasic contract is worse. Oh, I think it's worse. Because at least Eric Carlson's a a useful defender. I think Vlasic is... You're paying seven million for like a slightly better Andrew McDonald if you're a Flyers fan. Right, Vlasic had a Vlasic had a really good defensive year two years ago. I think yeah. I don't think he's had quite the season he's had last year or or this year so far. And the question, I mean, he's 34. You're paying him for the next five years. Um, he doesn't contribute much in the score sheet, right? He's more of your stay at home yeah. defender. Um, is Vlasic a guy that you 
can and try to move away from. Because I'm not sure you're going to be able to move the Carlson contract. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure you want to move the Burns contract. You know, Burns is like a fan favorite. He's been on your team forever. He mm-hmm. contributes uh, on the score sheet. Of your three defensemen, even though Vlasic is the third highest in, in cost, is he the guy that you try to move or get out of that contract if you can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you can get out of that Vlasic contract, I mean, absolutely do it. I think the problem would just be how, um, you know, everybody's dealing with the cap. I mean, we were talking about before we started recording how, um, like, no one's got money. It's insane. Like, these cap hits right now. Like, the only reason every team is cap compliant is because 40% of them are using LTIR. Um if you, you know, go, if you go on cap friendly, like the top 20 teams are using LTIR for yeah. at least three players. Like the Sharks have one of the more favorable salary cap situations on paper, and their cap space is like less than $5 million. Like that's, I don't know. Like, I mean, that's not terrible, but you would think that would be near the top, not near the bottom. Um, right. So it, it would be finding a partner. You know what I would I think is going to end up happening? Um they're because they're going to have to move some people. Like Tom, Tomash Hurdle is a UFA after this season. Barabanov's a UFA after this season. Um, they've got Gadjevich, um, Noah Gregor, and John Dolan on offense, all RFAs. Then you have Mario Ferraro. That's the like him and John Dolan are two guys. I'm like, man, like they're gonna. I mean, there's gonna be bridges here, but it, the bridge contracts cost money, so they're gonna have to move stuff and they're gonna have to move on from people. Um, I see a situation where somebody here, and this is the pessimist to me, I think somebody here is going to have a career-ending injury and end up on LTIR, a la Shea Weber, a la Marion Hosa. Um, Nikita Kucherov, not career-ending, but yeah, but just, the season. But just right? regular season career-ending. He'll never play in the regular season again, just playoffs. Um, I could very much see something like that happening for one of these players. Vlasic like screams that to me because he's a defensive defenseman. You have to think he's been playing really hard minutes for the last few seasons. He's a guy who strikes me as someone who, when he turns 36 is going to be like, I'm, I'm fucking tired of this. <laughs> and like just being like, I, my body is broken and I'm tired. And you know, them and the sharks working something out that like Vlasic has a ankle sprain that will heal in the year 2035. And therefore he's on LTIR. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I see happening. Yeah, all the I mean, so many teams are resorting to LTIR, and everybody's everybody's basically in a cap nightmare that they could not have predicted because COVID rendered a lot of unpredictable things. It's fun. I'm like scrolling up and down, cap friendly. You know who's kind of like sitting back on their couch with their feet up and their hands behind their heads, just relax. The Detroit Red Wings, like, and this is totally off off I hate top, CBS. totally <laughs> off topic here because we're not. This is this is a Sharks episode, but. You're Detroit. You're playing well, yeah. Considering you're young guys, you're fourth in the Atlantic. You've got 69 against the cap. You look at their. They've got nobody locked in long term. They have got so much leeway. All 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 Detroit really needs to do is continue to develop and draft well, and they can start to bring in some some free agents here and really start to build a, a good team. God, their roster's so young too. And you know what's amazing, like. Two second rounders next year, three fourth rounders next year, and honestly, I think Steve Geiserman is going to start wheeling a deal on that shit. The, well, you know, we both know that you can only acquire draft picks yeah. for so long. Right? Well, you, you also have, to have, do have something with them, right? Yeah. So you also have a contract limit. Like, I mean, you can draft all the players you want, but if you, you have, have sixty, 60 players, you have a contract limit and a, and a cap floor, right? Yeah, you've got to get to the cap floor. So. You know, there will, and this is this is funny that we're on the Red Wings now, but episode there, two, there right? will be a corner that, that in the not too distant future where the Red Wings turn and start to put a much better on ice product. Whether or not that that works out for Steam Eiserman or not, we'll we'll see. But I think you know, like from where Detroit has been the last like eight years, you're like, hey, this is pretty good. I know the future looks bright. I'm like, I'm happy for Tim. I just, like, I'm, I, I feel like this is such bullshit, though. Like, Steve Yeiserman, man. I mean, I get he's a genius and all, but, like, Ken Holland was there, and they got rid of him, and Steve Yeiserman comes in, and I'm like, oh, man, we're going to find out that, like, Steve Yeiserman is just a human, and he can't fix everything. 
And now he's got maybe the most favorable out like position and like he's got the same cap hit almost as like Buffalo. And Buffalo is just God, I was watching that game last night against the Hurricanes and I was like, this is not even an NHL team. I felt so bad for Malcolm Subban. Like <laughs> like that poor boy. Um So if in like three years Detroit is like the new Tampa Bay Lightning. Is everybody just vying for Steve Eiserman for the next GM? Oh, Steve Eiserman will never leave the the Red Wings because that was his dream job. Yeah, you know, yeah, he was well, a Red Wing. He yeah. was a Red Wing lifer. He's never leaving that job. If he is, uh, Doug Wilson, be careful because I think Eiserman. Yeah, I know everybody's for sale, right? Right. Um, to bring it back to college football, the Notre Dame. We coach never. Brian we were Kelly. never with college football. You're bringing it back to something we never started with. Head coach Brian Kelly. Notre Dame coach, right? Yeah. Was uh, was not interested in leaving Notre Dame. And then so, I think LSU gave him like a nine-figure offer. And he was yeah, like, well, that was crazy. Okay. Like, yeah. I never, ex- I didn't expect that because I'm like, okay, LSU's like a big-time program, obviously. But like, so is Notre Dame. Like, I don't remember too many LSU football movies. I mean, Notre Dame's got what? At least Rudy. You know? Like, I, I don't know. I was really surprised by that. So I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I mean Notre Dame, obviously great great football program i think you have an easier time getting kids into lsu academically mm. and keeping them in the program eligible mm-hmm. academically than you are at notre dame just because the academic standards at notre dame are higher so you think than he moved because he had a better opportunity I think for recruiting uh, yeah yeah i think he had a better shot to win at lsu okay i mean he did as good of a job i think you should get at notre dame we'll yeah see. Marcus Woodson is is the new the new head coach there. We'll see. Oh, how it really? Does, but oh. yeah. So, but um, hmm. interesting. I guess this is this is not a football podcast. But nah, whatever. But I mean, there are there are some the analogies. Anyways, right? We can talk about whatever we want. There are some analogies. We move from the Sharks to the Red Wings <laughs> to the LSU. A very Tigers. logical narrative yeah. here that we've built. Um, yeah. So I guess like let's tie a bow on this. Um, Sharks made the playoffs. Um, I'm going to say no. Um, negative bastard. I don't want, I'm generally a positive person. I don't, I don't want to be a pessimistic person. I think, I think there is, there are some good things to look forward to if you're the San Jose Shark uh, fan. I think if you kind of predict, you know, I, 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 I see this team falling just short of the playoffs. Yeah. I just see this team coming in the, the ninth or 10th spot here. Um, there, there's obviously an opportunity for them to, to perform well, there's a chance that they could drop out. The bottom could fall out. Um, but I think they'll probably end up somewhere in the ninth or 10th spot based on what we've seen so far. Um, I'd like to catch more Sharks games because they're just a, a, a fun team. You got to stay up, man. Have that um, late night coffee. <laughs> it's like, it's hard. It's hard on the East Coast at like 1030 to start a hockey game. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm going to take the opposite route of you. I'm going to be the optimist. And I'm going to say the Sharks make the playoffs miraculously by petitioning Gary Bettman and the NHL to allow nine teams into the playoffs. And they will be the ninth seed. So that's what I'm thinking the Sharks are going to do this year. So we, we should do we should do like an end of year recap episode where we keep track of our, like our bets. Yeah, yeah. So so Nick, I want to I want to jot it down here. Says no for San Jose. Mike, are they making the playoffs? You put me on record, man. I don't want to say it. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Okay, so so Nick and Mike say uh, no well, playoffs. Well, we're gonna, right, let me look at this one more time. Hold on, because offline we're going to get Danny's. Um, no, Danny's dead to us. He's got a child now. I don't give a shit about him anymore. Hey, Danny. Um, son of a bitch. All right, so okay, Pacific, Anaheim, Edmonton, Calgary are up front. San Jose is back. Man. It's tough because there's like 60% of the season to go. Well, now, oh shit. You know what? I was looking at this wrong. It was a bad time to say that. Um, They're in the number one wild card spot. They're in the number one wild card spot. I should have said that. Right. Um, so, so, oh my so God. San Jose's yeah. ahead of Colorado. They're ahead of Dallas. They're ahead of Vegas. They're ahead of Winnipeg and Los Angeles. Like, does any one of those, or we'll have to say two of those, six teams pass the San Jose Sharks? You know what I think, and actually? And they're all right there in points. They're yeah. just all right there. So I think if San Jose has to rely on the wild card, they're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if they can leapfrog Anaheim in the Pacific, 
It's possible. That's interesting. It's possible because Anaheim's the one that I think's the most vulnerable. I mean, Calgary, oof, I don't know. Calgary, uh, yeah. I mean, I think at, at a glance they look really good, but they I also think they good. have a lot of overperforming players going right now. Um, well, I recently uh, picked up Mangiapane, so the guy's been the guy's a scorer. <laughs> I know. I keep I keep leaving him on waivers. All right. Um, I guess to answer your question. Um, no, I, I I think San Jose's nine. Okay. Yeah, Ugh, I hate to say that because I want I, the, I want them to make. The I know. Playoffs. I want to be wrong. It's nice to see you know as a fan of a team in the Metro, you can look pretty objectively at the Western Conference. It's kind of cool to see Anaheim back in the game. It's neat to see the Kings play well. Obviously, the Sharks have played one the last five years, but we like the Sharks, so we like you know we like yeah. to see them perform well. It's nice to see new teams start to emerge in the West again um, that have been down and out for some time. Yeah. If only Vancouver could get their act together, but they look pretty damn bad. Oh God, I don't even want to talk about <laughs> Vancouver. That's a mess. Um, all right, yeah, we should we should wrap it there. I, yeah, if I, you've I, made I, it this far, congratulations. Yeah, you've done it. And again, I jinxed us by saying I think this is going to be a short episode. We just hit an hour. But in my defense, at 43, I was like, we're going to wrap it up. And we went 17 minutes going down the Brian Kelly route. So we'll, we'll, I blame you for this. We'll one. start to do over-under on podcast times. Yeah, we should. Um, all right. Well, cool. Well, that's going to do it for the Sharks episode here. So for everybody at Two for Diving, I'm Mike. And that's Nick. I always get that wrong. I always do it backwards. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Bye.